Welcome to Queer Speaks, a podcast in which we will discuss real issues pertaining to real LGBTQ plus teens. My name is Julia Ross, and I will be the host of this series. In today's episode, we will be discussing the stigma surrounding LGBTQ plus issues and coming out in high school, queer teen mental health, and the lack of queer sensitive counseling services. Those of us who stand outside the circle of this society's definition of acceptable women, those of us who have been forged in the crucible of difference, those of us who are poor, who are lesbians, who are black, who are older, know that survival is not an academic skill. It is learning how to stand alone, unpopular and sometimes reviled, and how to make common cause with those other identified as outside the structures in order to define and seek a world in which we can all flourish. Audre Lorde, in her essay, The Master's Tools Will Never Dismantle the Master's House, in 1979, wrote this statement to address how those on the outskirts of the white feminist movement and society, due to differences in class, race, or sexuality, learn to tolerate being treated unequally and band together to help uplift each other's unique voices. While this essay addresses tokenism in the women's rights movement, where POC feminists and lesbians were only represented when the upper-class white women found it convenient, I believe it can be attributed to other aspects of life as well. For queer teens, forged in the crucible of difference, as Lord wrote, they too must learn how to stand their ground alone or group together with others who are seen as different in order to survive. In high school, where students are just discovering their own identities and finding tribes and cliques based on interests, being forced into the outgroup, not by choice but by design, is difficult for anyone. Rather than bonding over favorite sports or movies or activities, LGBTQ plus teens often bond over being the outcasts. In 2020, queer teens are twice as likely to be bullied as their straight counterparts, according to U.S. News and World Report leading to greater levels of depression and mental health issues. And not only do they feel otherized at school, but also in their home environments, where sometimes parents and relatives are not as accepting. According to the Human Rights Campaign, stigmas drive the highest rates of mental health problems in LGBTQ communities. In school and home communities where discussions about queer issues and rights are taboo, and being queer is not condoned either for religious reasons or other, teens feel afraid to come out as themselves in fear of being ostracized or even physically harmed. The repression of feelings and constant fear of being outed leads to serious mental health problems in these communities. In 2014, a study found that LGBTQ plus people who live in communities with more stigmatized attitudes towards their sexual orientation die an average of 12 years earlier than their peers in communities that are more open-minded. Let that sink in, 12 years earlier. Living in communities with stigmas surrounding sexuality and gender identity can be fatal for some LGBTQ teens. Without peer connection, people can often turn suicidal, and this is especially prevalent within the queer community. According to the Con 2016 study, LGBTQ plus teens are over four times more likely to attempt suicide than heterosexual youth. In an interview with NPR, Amit 
Pali, the CEO of the Trevor Project, said that, quote, the reason they face these elevated risks of suicide is not because there is something inherently wrong with LGBTQ people. The reason that they are facing these negative outcomes is because of the discrimination and bias that exists in society today. So, I wanted to share a story about the repercussions of queer teens living in environments where their sexuality is stigmatized and discuss ways that we can help prevent this. This is the story of Shayar Avery, a non-binary transgender social justice activist who experienced suicidal ideations, particularly in their early childhood. With a mother who abused substances, their father raised them in California. However, after noticing that they wanted to dress more feminine, their father sent them to conversion therapy, and they were placed into foster care soon after at the age of 10. Going back and forth between foster care and their father's home, Avery's early teens were not easy at home. And at school, Avery was bullied relentlessly by their peers, even receiving death threats on their locker solely because they expressed themselves differently. Without a support system, Avery's suicidal thoughts grew, and they were hospitalized multiple times after breakdowns. The added pressures of stigmas about gender expression and sexuality at home and at school, combined with previous mental health problems and a lack of accessibility to education about queer identity and issues, made Avery's teen years difficult to live through. I did experience suicidal ideation because I was so lonely. I was, in a, I was constantly in a panic state, not being able to express myself or talk about my identity or have anybody to turn to. However, eventually in their later years, they moved into a queer youth collective in South Los Angeles, a safe space where they were finally able to explore their identity without pressures for conformity. I was just myself then, Avery said according to USA Today. Now, Avery works on social justice, justice activism and attends schools in New York. While they are not suddenly cured of years of trauma, they feel free to express themselves and live every day with this desire for happiness. While this is a difficult story, I believe we can learn a lot from Avery. In a space where queer teens are not allowed to be themselves, and where they have no support system of adults or peers like them, mental health issues can often become fatal. And there is no right answer as to how we can destigmatize the topics of gender and sexuality in certain communities. But I believe it starts with education and queer-specific health services in schools. Not only is it important for queer history to be normalized and taught in schools so that students are aware of different sexualities and identities, but it is pivotal for sex education to include queer sexuality in the curriculum. When discussing topics that lead kids to be vulnerable and ask personal questions, this space needs to be safe for all people, not just heterosexuals, to express themselves and not feel judged. In 2015, only 12% of millennials surveyed by the HRC said that same-sex relationships were covered in their health classes. Only three states require LGBTQ plus sex education in schools, while seven states restrict education about queer relationships in schools. 
only by helping LGBTQ plus and questioning students learn more about their identities and sexualities and having safe spaces to discuss both their physical and mental health can students truly feel a sense of inclusion, enough so that the rates of LGBTQ plus depression and suicidal thoughts lower. Describing a woman's relationship to a man, Simone de Beauvoir wrote in her book, The Second Sex, the category of the other is as primordial as consciousness itself. In the most primitive societies, in the most ancient mythologies, one finds the expression of a duality, that of the self and the other. Beauvoir explains that it is human nature for people to sort themselves into a hierarchy, where one group of people is the center of society as the, quote, self, and everyone else exists in relation to this group as the, quote, other. In high school, in addition to racial otherizing, there is also otherizing based on gender and sexuality. The cis straight students are the self, while the LGBTQ plus students are the other. The fight for equality must begin with encouraging normalization of discussions about queer history and issues, and breaking down the stigmas within communities at school and at home. And in order to combat the mental health crisis that queer youth are facing, there needs to be more queer-sensitive counseling services offered at school. Often, school counselors are the only people students will feel comfortable coming out to and discussing, discussing queer issues with. According to Counseling Today, it is necessary for counselors to be adequately trained in providing therapy for LGBTQ plus youth, specifically in how to deal with familial situations, disputes about gender neutral, neutral bathrooms, and school policies that may or may not protect queer students. Yet, according to GLSEN, 76% of school counselors have received little to no training in this area. How can we expect LGBTQ students to work on their mental health if they are receiving advice from counselors who don't even know how, to, how best to help them and provide them with safe spaces? This queer teen mental health crisis is expansive, and it's difficult to pinpoint just one or even a few reasons for why LGBTQ youth experience more depression and suicidal thoughts than their heterosexual counterparts. But one thing is for certain, there is not enough being done to provide these teens with the support they need and to provide communities with the educational tools necessary to destigmatize gender and sexuality and mental illnesses. However, there is hope for the future still. In Biden's first day of office, he signed an executive order protecting LGBTQ citizens from discrimination in schools, healthcare, and the workplace. There is much work to be done to ensure equality for everyone in the community, but this is certainly a start. Thank you for tuning in today. Once again, I am your host, Julia Ross, and this is Queer Speaks.